The government has clearly lost control of the economy. We are looking at a Conservative majority of 86. Why is the Prime Minister making a bad situation worse for working people by hammering them with a cut to universal credit and a tax rise? I actually think that this is a win-win. It's, a, it's a, an open goal for this trust, really. Will you Who shut is up, man? said it on the record. You said and, you want to right, And just to come in and say something that you said bringing you the stories behind the headlines. You're listening to Politics Unboxed. Hello, hello. You are indeed listening to Politics Unboxed. It has just gone past 2pm here on Thursday, the 26th of January 2023. My name is Rhys Wallace. I am your host for today and for every other show that we do. Here on Politics Unbox, you got me for the next two hours talking all things politics. We'll wonder whether the Prime Minister is weak. We'll wonder whether Nadim Zahawi should uh, resign. Matt Hancock has been assaulted. Jacob Rees-Mogg is going to be assaulting our eyes and ears on GB News pretty soon. Boris Johnson's back in the headlines for Partygate. And Jared O'Mara, the former Sheffield Hallam MP. Well... He's spending more time in the headlines now than he ever did in his parliamentary constituency office. Uh, We'll also talk about how the spirit of Thatcherism is being invoked by Michael Gove to help the north of England, as well as stories about the Royal Mail, stories about, of course, uh, the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, this illegal Russian invasion of the country and your latest developments there, as well as some fairly controversial NHS reforms that are starting to try and make their way through Parliament. Or at least they're no longer keeping the quiet bits quiet, really. There are also some other uh, much more... uh, Well, not that these other stories aren't going to be sad, unfortunately. uh, But there are some other very sad stories to bring to you today. But you don't really want to be listening to me telling you what you're going to expect you want to you want me to tell you what's going on in the world give you all the facts give you the information and you can come to your own opinions um as always it's a pleasure to have you listening in today as it is every day we're going to kick this off by talking about the prime minister uh, rishi sunak has had to actually deny uh, being hopelessly weak, which um, is sort of actively hilarious. Um, this, this, These sort of attack lines continuing to fly towards the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Here is a little bit of a clip from the exchange between Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer, and the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak from yesterday's Prime Minister's Questions. If it plays in time. Oh, you know, there we it is. all know why the Prime Minister was reluctant to ask his party chair questions about family finances and tax avoidance. <laughs> but but his, his, his failure... His failure to sack him, when the whole country can see what's going on, shows how hopelessly weak he is. A Prime Minister overseeing chaos, overwhelmed at every turn. He can't say when ambulances 
will get to heart attack victims again. He can't say when the prison system will keep streets safe again. He can't even deal with tax avoiders in his own cabinet. Is he starting to wonder if this job is just too big for him? And here's the Prime Minister's response from the dispatch box. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the difference between him and me is that I stand by my values and my principles even when it is difficult. When I disagreed fundamentally with the previous Prime Minister, I resigned from the government. But for four but for four but for four long years he sat next to the member for Islington North. anti-Semitism ran rife when his predecessor sided with our opponents. That's what's weak, Mr Speaker. He has no principles and just petty politics. Oh, how fun it is at Prime Minister's Questions every time. Um, that, that chorus of, of more and jeering. Oh, playground politics at its Highest from both sides, really. But uh, Keir Starmer on the offensive at yesterday's Prime Minister's questions, calling Rishi Sunak hopelessly weak for not firing uh, Nadim Zahawi, whom he labelled the minister for seeking to avoid tax. Um, he then went on to question, as you heard there, if the job is just too big for him. Um, now, Downing Street had initially said that all of... Um, Rishi Sunak's tax arrangements were confidential. They were asked by the Labour Party if the Prime Minister himself had ever paid a penalty to UK tax authorities like Nadim Zahawi. The PM's official spokesperson later confirmed, saying the Prime Minister has never paid a penalty to HMRC, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Uh, The full tax returns to the Prime Minister are apparently going to be published in due course, according to Downing Street. Um, In the House of Commons, though, Rishi Sunak was sort of on his feet, batting for his his long-term friend and parliamentary colleague, Nadim Zahawi, saying uh, it would have been politically expedient to sack Mr Zahawi before PMQs got underway, but he believed in a proper due process. Now, in fairness to the Prime Minister, uh, he has asked his ethics advisor to investigate whether there have been uh, ministerial code breaches and ministerial rules breaches, indeed, by the current Conservative Party chairman and minister without portfolio, Nadim Zahawi. But it is still going to be down to the Prime Minister to decide whether to sack Nadim Zahawi if the ethics advisor comes back with a report saying, yes, um, Mr Zahawi did break the ministerial code. Now, these allegations, which I'll go into in a little bit more detail uh, in our in our next segment, um, date back to when Nadim Zahawi was Chancellor. So that really is... Quite a small time window. If you remember, it was sort of between when uh, Rishi Sunak had resigned from the Boris Johnson government and, well, the start of the Liz Truss government, which actually is longer than the Liz Truss government, but that's that's by the by. Uh, there was an estimated £4.8 million settlement agreed with HMRC whilst Mrs. Zahawi was Chancellor. Um, this is the sort of attack line of the week. Uh, but... There is a broader front opening up, the weaponisation of wealth in British politics. The Labour Party and the SNP are pointing to the Prime Minister's vast wealth. And even though uh, the Prime Minister has, has confidence 
in Zahawi. It may well be draining away as these attacks become more and more frequent and become easier and easier with each passing day. Uh, even Conservative Member of Parliament Nigel Mills, uh, he's on the record talking to BBC Radio 4's The World at One, saying Mr Zahawi must explain why he had had to pay a penalty to the tax authorities. Um, he, his, his point is sort of summarised by, I don't see how an investigation into the ministerial code resolves this, because if he's clear by that, won't stop people asking questions about what on earth happened. Um, Mrs. Zahawi confirmed on Saturday he made that payment, uh, but it was resolved between, as I say, July and September last year, and the tax was related to a shareholding in YouGov, because, of course, Nadim Zahawi is the co-founder of YouGov from back in 2000, way before he became a member of Parliament. But this really isn't the only issue bothering Rishi Sunak, who is sporting a few more grey hairs than he did when he walked into that number 10 door for the first time as Prime Minister. I have to say, having a look at this uh, most recent photo I've got up on my screen, the Prime Minister is off at his grace and favour country retreat checkers. Um, it's a massive away day for the Cabinet. Uh, there'll be the normal cabinet meeting, as as would be expected when, you know, the cabinet meets. Uh, but there will also be what's called political cabinet. Now, this is where ministers get together and discuss strategy. Uh, it's not official sort of government business. More political uh, aides and officials attend. And this is where people get to air their, their political priorities. It's the first one of these since Rishi Sunak took office. And it'll be interesting to see where the differences lie. I mean, we, we know we have uh, a, a bit of a divided cabinet on, on some issues, notably Suella Braverman, the, at time of speaking still, Home Secretary, uh, is is a long way away from others on the, the centrist wing of her party in relation to what she considers her greatest dreams. Remember back uh, in the Liz Truss government, my, my dream is to see that uh, plane fly off to Rwanda, uh, Ms. Bravman was quoted as saying. Uh, but it's not just differences that need to be addressed in this mammoth away day, as the BBC are labelling it. Uh, the Tories are massively behind in the polls. Now, Nadim Zahawi should really be saying, look, come on, guys, we're, we're really in the mud here. If he believes in polls as much as he, he should do as a former founder, uh, or rather as a founder of YouGov, um, this is a, a massive problem for the government. And it's it's not just how do you do it in terms of political priorities, it's how do you do it when you have more than one member of the cabinet under investigation over conduct. According to a Guardian report, Dominic Raab is facing complaints from at least 24 people. Now... Whilst it's come up in The Guardian, I, I haven't seen that number verified elsewhere. But we already know that he, he was facing a, a bullying probe. Um, the government, of course, won't be giving us a, a running commentary on how the, the Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary gets on. Uh, both of them being Dominic Raab, of course, back in the Cabinet after backing Rishi Sunak in the initial leadership election to replace Boris Johnson unsuccessfully in that time and then getting four square behind his man again um, for the for the second round in, in 2022. 
Uh, Dominic Raab told the BBC over the weekend, I'm confident I've behaved professionally throughout, and of course the government takes a zero-tolerance approach on bullying. Um, Because of course it did when Priti Patel was accused of bullying in her role as Home Secretary. That caused an ethics advisor to quit um, because there was no action taken over it. If we if we park some of the, the the government's real issues, these these key issues that are, that are currently ongoing, there needs to be a look ahead from the Conservative Party, because just what three months and we sort of what eight seven eight days down the line as I sit here um, speaking now are the May local elections. Yes. It's another round of elections, everybody. I can hear the anticipation. Um, And look, it it might not be quite as bad as the 2022 local elections where Boris Johnson led the Conservative Party uh, across Great Britain to uh, what was considered by by most election uh, viewers and and experts a a stonking defeat. Uh, But if you can't shake off all these things that are dragging the Conservative Party down, it's not exactly going to be a bounce-back year, which is what the Tory party need in 2023 if they're going to stand a chance in 2024. Let's not forget, Rishi Sunak promised professionalism and integrity when he crossed that threshold to occupy 10 Downing Street as Prime Minister for the first time. Uh, but so aside from sort of setting out his his five policy promises, halve inflation, that was uh, number one, grow the economy, creating better paid jobs and opportunity right across the country. Uh, I guess that doesn't make him part of the anti-growth coalition. Um, Secure, sorry, make sure our national debt is falling to secure the future of public services. Make sure NHS waiting lists fall and then pass new laws to stop small boats, making sure that if you come to this country illegally, you are detained and swiftly removed. Those are the five priorities on this political cabinet agenda. I'd love, 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 love to be right there at Checkers to just just see what the mood is like. Um, because there is going to be a, a, a presentation from Isaac Levido, a strategy guru of the Conservative Party. He was one of the people behind the 2019 general election victory, although, of course, the importance of a certain Mr Dominic Cummings cannot be understated. He, however, Cummings, is looking from the outside. Levido still very much on the inside of the Conservative Party and is said to be playing a central role in getting Rishi Sunak ready for, uh, well, what we expect to be sort of the tail end of next year's general election. I don't envy his job. It's going to be... Quite a task, um, but task number one is, of course, getting this mammoth cabinet away day together. But let's just talk about why this this most recent cabinet scandal is in the news, because it is about Nadim Zahawi. Uh, and, well, there were some key questions about Nadim Zahawi's tax affairs. Number one, why on earth did Nedim Zahawi need to settle a tax bill estimated to be about £5 million pounds, uh, in, the, in the environs thereof? Um, well, uh, 
Looking back, the tax bill is connected to YouGov. Uh, Mr. Zahawi held shares in YouGov. He co-founded it in 2000. Now, UK residents, they're taxed on, on profits, or what you might see listed as gains, made from the sale of shares in a company. But, at time of founding, here's where it gets murky, UGov, al- UGov rather, allocated just over 40% of its shares to a company called Bullshore Investments, which is registered in Gibraltar. Now, in UGov's 2009 annual report... Bolshaw was described as the family trust of Nadim Zahawi. And in a statement on Saturday, Mr. Zahawi said his father took founder shares in YouGov in exchange for some capital and his invaluable guidance. Now, Nadim Zahawi is denying being a beneficiary or having any involvement with Bolshaw um, because it's estimated that Bolshaw had sold its shares by 2018 for an estimated £27 million. But uh, questions were being raised about Mr. Zahawi's tax affairs when he was appointed Chancellor back in July of last year, 2022, the year that sort of never ended. Uh, HMRC conducted discussions and uh, a bit of a, a review where, according to Mr. Zahawi, HMRC agreed that Zahawi Sr., so Nadim's father, was entitled to founder shares in YouGov, but they disagree on how many he should have got, so they they have allocation differences. HMRC then concluded that he had made an error that was, and I quote here, careless but not deliberate. And that is all that uh, Mr. Zahawi has said about HMRC's, well... um, ruling on this. Mrs. Zahawi chose to settle the matter, pay what HMRC said was due, which, according to Mrs. Zahawi, is the right thing to do. I think the right thing was not to have to pay up for a settlement in the first place, but that's 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 by the by. That's by the by. Um, looking down at, at some, some other of the key questions, again, we don't quite know how much Mrs. Zahawi was, uh, had to pay HMRC to settle this tax issue. The Guardian reported... Uh, it was a seven-figure settlement and quoted experts saying they estimated the tax bill to be about $5 million. Um, and according to the BBC, they've been told total amount paid was close to sums that have been reported elsewhere. In other words, given The Guardian were reporting it elsewhere, about £5 million. Did the Prime Minister know? Well, according to Mrs Zahawi, the tax issue was settled before his appointment as chairman of the Conservative Party, which was uh, what happened immediately as uh, Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. And last week, Rishi Sunak said that Mr Zahawi had already addressed the matter in full and there's nothing more he can add. Well, that position changed over the course of this week uh, after Rishi Sunak on Monday asked his independent ethics advisor to look into whether Mr Zahawi had broken the ministerial code. Uh, Far from saying that the matter was already addressed in full, there are now questions that need answering. Fun times. Um, To just go back to to what really is going on, HMRC have released a statement uh, today, or rather the boss of uh, HMRC has been appearing before a Commons committee where he has said there are no penalties for innocent tax errors. Uh, Jim Harrah, the boss of His Majesty's Revenue and Customs, was was pressed around the Zahawi question 
obviously he was. Nadim Zahawi is, is facing calls to resign after an HMRC-based dispute. So, of course, the boss of HMRC is, is going to get some questions. Um, now, Mr. Harrow also stressed he could not comment on individual cases, but in a broad brush uh, stroke said that penalties were not applied when someone had taken reasonable care. And to quote directly, there are no penalties for innocent errors in your tax affairs. So if you take reasonable care, but nevertheless make a mistake, whilst you will be liable for the tax and for interest if it's paid late, you will not be liable for a penalty. But if your res- yeah, sorry, if your error rather was as a result of carelessness, then legislation says that a penalty could apply in those circumstances. So this is why um, Keir Starmer has been calling... Rishi Sunak, uh, hopelessly weak. Um, I, for one, have been looking at these articles for quite some time, and I've been wondering how best to to explain it to you. But I thought, best no, it's just give you all of the the information currently out there, uh, and and let you make up your mind. It, it certainly, look, it, it it doesn't smell squeaky clean. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, that there's anything necessarily to, to sniff out that's dirty in there, if that makes sense. Um, Nadim Zahawi is adamant that he's done nothing wrong. And certainly we don't have any evidence definitively uh, that he has done so. The only thing that says there was even an error made is this uh, allegation uh, and confirmed to some degree by Nadim Zahawi that he had to pay uh, in sort of what we might call back taxes uh, to HMRC after what he would probably call this, this this careless but not deliberate action. Either way, it sort of reeks of uh, idiocracy. I don't know if any of you have seen that uh, that film or seen any trailers of it. It really is quite ridiculous. Um, someone who appeared in WWE plays the President of the United States. That would never happen. Someone in WWE going on to become the President of the United States. That's that's never happened, right? Anyway, um, whilst I'm talking about an idiocracy, we may as well go to a song break before I go too far down this rabbit hole. And uh, we're going to play Radiohead. Because we're looking back through some of the old station uh, archives. Tom York, the uh, well, he does a lot. Vocals, guitar, piano and keyboards um, for Radiohead. Went to the University of Exeter. Yeah, he, he didn't particularly like it, but he, he went here. Um, so this is their song, Idiotech. I'll see you after this. Don't stop the party. Pitbull featuring TJR and before that, Idiotech by Radiohead. Um, You may wonder why I'm playing Don't Stop the Party. Well, you know how at least some of the songs that I play on my show have a theme? This one does as well because Partygate is back in the news. The MP's investigation, or rather an investigation by the Privileges Committee... Uh, is rearing its head again for the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and it could have consequences for the current Prime Minister as well. But, you know, uh, as always, I don't just want to be talking myself for 
for these two hours. No, we've got some music. But we've also uh, got uh, a nice, fun thing that you can do if you want to get your voice on the radio. Express yourself with Expression Hotline. Call Expression. Call 01392 Tell us what you want to hear. We might even get your voice on the airwaves. So pick up the phone and get ringing. Express yourself. Expression Hotline 01392 723568. That's the number to call if you've got it there. Um, it's not even written in front of me anymore. Someone's, someone's erased the number from the board. That's a shame. Um, it was always nice. I needed to just read it straight off the whiteboard in front of me there, and now it's gone. Um, but no, it's still there up in my head, and hopefully it's in some of your heads as well. Because if you do want to share your opinions on any of the stories that I'm bringing to you today, then do just dial in. Or if you'd rather not get your voice on the radio, you can always, you know, drop me a message. If you got my contact details, or go to at politics.unboxed on Instagram, uh, politicsunboxed on Facebook, or at politicsu on Twitter. Those are the places to go to get in touch whilst we are on the airwaves. But to go back to that uh, that reason for, for playing the uh, Don't Stop the Party song, um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely about Boris Johnson. Because that investigation is looming. It is definitely looming. Partygate was instrumental in Boris Johnson leaving Downing Street. And it still got its claws in the former Prime Minister. Um, this Commons Privileges Committee inquiry was commissioned by the House of Commons last April. And to be honest, it hasn't really seen headlines since Boris Johnson left office back in July. But it's about to hit the headlines because there are reports circling that these hearings could begin in the coming weeks. So in case you've forgotten, this is all about uh, opposition party accusations of misleading members of parliament levelled at Boris Johnson uh, over what he actually knew about gatherings in government buildings during the COVID lockdowns. Now, we know that on several occasions after the Partygate scandal emerged uh, in in late 2021, he's on the record telling the House of Commons that pandemic rules had been followed. But an investigation by Sue Gray later found that there was massively widespread rule breaking that had been taking place. A Met Police inquiry led to fines for 83 individuals, including the former Prime Minister himself, and indeed the current Prime Minister, for attending events that broke the law. Now, Boris Johnson has held his hands up and said, look, those statements where I said, you know, that pandemic rules have been followed, they've now been been proven incorrect. But, but at the time, I thought they were true. So it's not lying. Please, please trust me. He's, deli- he's sorry. He's denied deliberately misleading Parliament, and he says, "quote He has absolutely nothing, frankly, to hide." I mean, I would like to direct listeners' attentions back in time to when Boris Johnson has been fired from not one, but at least two jobs. And I say at least because 
I don't know how many jobs Boris Johnson's really been fired for for lying, but it, we know that on at least two occasions he was dismissed from his post for uh, deliberately mistruthing. Maybe that's how Boris himself would put it. Now, that's that's what's happened in the past. What's going to happen in the future, or possibly in, in these, these next few days as I sit here speaking to you all? Hopefully there's enough of you to count as you all. Um, there are seven members of parliament on the uh, the Privileges Committee. Well, I was about to say the Scrutiny Committee. There's not Scrutiny, but it's the Privileges Committee. And they will get to examine whether Boris Johnson committed contempt of parliament. Now, that is quite loosely defined um, in in Hansard and in the parliamentary rulebook, described as anything that prevents parliament from functioning properly. Now, in July last year, the committee decided they would not have to prove that Boris Johnson did deliberately mislead members of parliament to prove that he committed the offence. Now, that, of course, led to uproar. Uproar. Uh, amongst uh, Johnsonites and allies of, of, of Boris, saying that the inquiry is biased against the former Prime Minister. And uh, there is a legal opinion published in September last year, commissioned by the government on the behalf of the former Prime Minister, uh, which took issue with the approach taken by this committee, calling it fundamentally flawed. Now, the committee naturally has rejected those accusations of bias, saying its decisions have been based on advice from impartial officials, and it will be sticking to its original interpretation of the rules. And if you're a fan of reading legal opinions, uh, you can obviously read that first one that the government issued on behalf of Boris Johnson back in September. Um, the, The Privileges Committee hit back with its own withering legal opinion saying that the government's legal opinion was placed uh, was based on misplaced analogies with the criminal law oh it's just scathing it's brilliant when legal minds go back and forth against it. yeah no even i can't make that sound scintillating um <laughs> now the committee themselves uh there are one two three four conservatives Andy Carter, Sir Bernard Jenkin, Alberto Costa, and Sir Charles Walker. Uh, the SNP's Alan Dorans is also on the committee, and there are two Labour Party members, Yvonne Fauvarg, and whilst you might have expected me to say Sir Chris Bryant next on this list, no, it's actually named Harriet Harman, who is both the second Labour member on this committee and the chair of the Privileges Committee. Now, she's a former cabinet and shadow cabinet minister. She's been acting leader of the Labour Party uh, on quite a few occasions, actually. Uh, and, and they will all sit in as, as, this, as this group uh, to, to sort of scrutinise from their, their Privileges point of view this, uh, this probe. And and to to add them uh, the weight of of, uh, of legal opinion, a former appeals court judge, Sir Ernest Ryder, has been appointed to advise the committee. Looking at what what they're actually going to be able to to do, what evidence they're going to gather, well, um, witnesses have been contacted by the committee. They will need to submit written evidence by the 7th of February. They will be able to submit evidence anonymously as long as 
some member of committee staff can verify their identity. Uh, so it, it can't just be um, Boris Johnson's estranged first wife writing in and saying, oh, no, I was definitely there. I saw it all happen. Uh, no, you have to be verifiably identified by a member of the committee staff, but you can submit the evidence anonymously, uh, thereby sort of distancing yourself uh, from from potential repercussions, which, of course, we would hope there wouldn't be in, in a society uh, where we do want to have the, the rule of law and, and, and therefore every now and then sort of telling on someone and whistleblowing is... is Sort of what's required, really. Um, nine, nine, the majority of nine 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 calls are uh, whistleblowing. If you want to uh, take breaking the law to that extent, uh, in terms of police action on nine 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 calls. Uh, now, the submissions gathered to the committee will be shared with Boris Johnson. However, the committee will reserve the right to conceal the identity of any witnesses where appropriate. There are so many documents that the committee has requested, I I can't list them all here. There, there is a list online. If you, if you go to the House of Commons website, you can find the Privileges Committee uh, and committees.parliament.uk slash work slash 6812 um, slash, yes, matter referred on the 21st of April 2022, conduct of Right Honourable Boris Johnson dash MP dash news. That's the hyperlink. Uh, I'm not reading it again. It doesn't make for great radio. Uh, but they're, they're looking for, for the diaries of, of the Prime Minister at the time, the, the briefing notes given to him um, before he, he said those statements in the Commons, entry logs in government buildings, emails, WhatsApp messages, pictures from uh, Downing Street's official photographer, which could end up, far from being the publicity coup uh, that Boris Johnson hoped it would be, that it could end up being the final nail in, in, in the coffin of the Prime Minister or the former Prime Minister's political career. Uh, and, of course, there, there are stringent security measures in place to make sure that the evidence is, is kept under wraps whilst the inquiry is ongoing. What about Boris Johnson, though? Well, he will almost certainly be asked to undergo a public sort of scrutineering process by the committee. That's that's going to be on telly because it's going to make great telly. If you're into, if you, if you're into your politics and your in your studying of the the modern political world this is going to be incredible telly uh, to to watch the former prime minister squirm under the the, the sort of collective pressure of, of seven members of parliament four from his own party uh, now it's not a legal process but he will be able to bring a lawyer with him and take advice but he won't be able to speak through his lawyer it's not like a trial. The lawyer doesn't speak on behalf of the client at some point, sort of saying no comment and uh, and such. The former Prime Minister will have to answer the questions directed at him directly back. Fun times. Less room to squirm than usual. Now, let's let's have a look at some of the potential penalties that could come out of this. The, the the committee at the end of however long this um this this process goes uh, the committee will then recommend whether Boris Johnson is considered in in their view to have committed a contempt of parliament and if so how he should be punished and this will all then be sent to the the rest of the house of commons or rather the whole house of commons 
for a final decision. Now, there are a range of punishments. Some of them at the, the lower end is uh, you, can, you can be forced to apologise and correct the record. At the more severe end, you can be suspended from the House of Commons. Now, if Mr Johnson were to be suspended for more than 10 days, it would trigger an automatic recall petition in his Uxbridge and South Ryslip constituency, which, if enough signatures are gathered, could lead to a by-election. But that hasn't really happened, and it's been very, very rare in recent years to see a suspension of this length. We do know, however, that whichever way it goes, the outcome of this inquiry will almost certainly be pivotal for the former Prime Minister's political future. If he is found to have misled Parliament, well then will the the Conservative Party uh, be less inclined to, to welcome him back to high office if he were to run again. He's never ruled out the prospect of, of running again. It would also cause a political headache for the current Prime Minister. Um, if the committee were to recommend that Boris Johnson did commit a contempt, or did commit contempt of, of Parliament, and uh, any of the, the punishments is recommended by the committee, what does Rishi Sunak do? Does he whip his MPs to vote in favour of the, the committee's recommendation? Does he whip them in fa- uh, Does he whip them against the committee's recommendations? In a Tory party already rancorous and divided, the last thing Rishi Sunak needs is to, uh, whichever way he goes, split one wing of the party. If the Johnsonites say, well, the committee was biased uh, against the Prime Minister, uh, the former Prime Minister, rather, and yet Rishi Sunak whips his members of Parliament to to, to vote in favour of, of the recommendations from the committee, he could lose the Johnsonite wing of the party. If it's the other way round, though, uh, and the committee puts a recommendation forward that says he, he did commit contempt and he whips his MPs to vote against the committee findings, then this this... Sort of bits that he promised about sort of this, this due diligence, this professionalism, this respectability back into Parliament. Well, the first real test of that he's had is is going to be failed by not putting up with the recommendations of a of a committee about contempt of Parliament. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks with a Prime Minister, both present and past. Let's have a look at some other members of Parliament, though. Um, because Matt Hancock uh, was... There was a, a rather um, nasty video came out uh, regarding Matt Hancock, uh, alleged to have taken place on on Tuesday, where uh, Giza Tarjani, uh, 61, from Leyland in Lancashire, uh, was videoed um, on, on what has now been called... Uh, Counts of common assault and and two public order offences against Mr. Hancock. Um, The police received a report of a man being assaulted and harassed at Westminster Station close to the House of Commons on Tuesday. And uh, Mr. Tarjani was arrested on Wednesday. Uh, Matt Hancock's spokesman has praised Transport for London staff and the British Transport Police for their response to the incident. Uh, And he personally added, this sort of behaviour is a rare Occurrence. Um, 
So yes, uh, Giza Tajani has, as they've been charged with uh, one count of common assault and two counts of public order offences. Um, but only only one of those public order offences, in addition to the common assault charge, uh, relates to this particular incident. There is a separate incident relating to Mr. Hancock taking place on Parliament Street on the 19th of January, for which he's been charged with the second public order offence. Matt Hancock, of course, a household name, the former Health and Social Care Secretary under the Johnson government from, sort of, well, 2019 all the way through the early stages of the pandemic before he was forced to resign from his job in 2021 after images emerged showing him breaking lockdown rules by kissing one of his advisors, Gina Colodangelo, who has since become his partner. Uh, Matt Hancock has graced our TV screens in uh, the reality show I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. He swapped Suffolk for uh, sheep innards, really, uh, in in that swap down down under where he was doing all of the challenges for the first, I think six six or seven goes until the producers stepped in and said, no, 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 this is this is probably bullying now. Um, he was stripped of the Conservative whip. He currently sits as an independent member of Parliament for West Suffolk. He announced last month he would not seek re-election at the next general election. Uh, he says he would engage with the public in new ways. Don't think he had this in mind. Um, I don't know if you've seen the video. It's not a comfortable video to watch. Uh, I think no matter what uh, people's personal opinions of Matt Hancock or uh, their personal opinions of any politician, in fact, um, obviously anything that amounts to a common assault charge is too much. By all means, say your piece if you have a polite uh, or, or at the very least... Uh, not a, a rude and uh, assault-based way of, of of putting it. If you can uh, politely disagree with a politician because you have a genuine disagreement with them, do it. I won't. I won't be one. Of course, I won't be one to say you have to agree with every politician ever at all times. You'd be a stark raving schizophrenic mess if you did that. I mean, just imagine you'd have the member for Rislington North. You'd have the member for Uxbridge and South Ryslip, and you'd have to agree. With with both of them at the same time, your head would explode. But if you do disagree with a a member of parliament for the love of whatever so deity on which you swear or whichever items you hold holy, don't don't do this. This is not conducive to a functioning political system in which we can actually scrutinise those who are placed in positions of power and responsibility over us. Uh, it's, it's acts like this that make it easier for the government to put through the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, which is still worming its way through the House of Commons, restricting the rights uh, of protesters. Uh, it's, it's this action that, that makes it easier for politicians to, to duck any questions because they fear there may well be somebody like that in a in a press scrum or mobbing them as they go down the street we've seen it happen to journalists as well nicholas watt um sort of mobbed and and harassed and, and hassled by uh, members of the public as as he was going uh, from one former location to another we saw it happen with professor sir chris witty 
Uh, is it Sir Chris Woody? I think it is now. Maybe it wasn't at the time. Uh, it was definitely Sir Patrick Valance at the time, but uh, Professor Chris Whitty. Uh, we saw him harassed and harangued as as he was, I believe, on a on a on an underground line as well. So there are an- another underground incident. Um, it's disgraceful. It's it's despicable. It's a, it's a quite simply boneheaded, uh, and I'm very glad Mr. Hancock's all right. As as as. Um, no semblance that he that he's been hurt in in this event, and I I hope it, it hasn't sort of uh, left him worried about public engagements and, and going out and actually facing facing scrutiny because he does have questions to answer. Um, anybody who thinks he doesn't uh, might want to to go on a question asking course because there are there are plenty uh, of questions which do require answers from Matt Hancock, but you're never going to get them. Uh, if you end up engaging in actions that constitute a common assault charge. Let's move on to a, a former member of Parliament now, Jared O'Mara, um, who was the member of Parliament for Sheffield Hallam from 2017 to 2019. He uh, stole, in a, in a shock result on election night, um, Nick Clegg's seat in Sheffield Hallam, the former Liberal Democrat leader and Deputy Prime Minister. And he's now accused of essentially stealing nearly £30,000 after accusations of making fraudulent expenses claims. A former caseworker on Mr O'Mara's team claims that he used a range of excuses to avoid attending Parliament as well, one of which included slipping in the shower. Um, that's sort of the excuse you get when somebody walks into an accident and emergency with, um, well... A, a rather misplaced item. Uh, Jared Amara has denied eight counts of fraud, but uh, currently there are proceedings going through Leeds Crown Court where Kevin Gregory Coyne, who worked at Mr. Amara's constituency office between November 2018 and April 2019, uh, has been saying he only ever saw his boss in the building once or twice. Uh, and when he did, on one occasion, where Mr. Amara attended the constituency office uh, on the 12th of February 2019, he turned up an hour late, uh, and according to Mr. Gregory Coyne, and I quote, he appeared to be on some sort of substance. He was gurning, clenching his teeth, sweating, and talking at a million miles an hour. Um, also according to Mr. Gregory Coyne, uh, Mr. Amara told staff he wished to make speech videos to post on an online fee-paying subscriber platform, along with comedy routines. And that when one member of staff challenged the suggestion, Mr. O'Mara uh, threatened to sack him. Uh, the jury have been hearing that multiple members of Mr. O'Mara's staff left their jobs to work for other employers as soon as they could after that meeting. And that uh, Mr. O'Mara w- was sort of using every excuse in the book to just not do parliamentary duties. He slipped in the shower a couple of times. He just texted at short notice to say, I'm not coming. And according to Mr Gregory Coyne, there were a range of what I saw as excuses. Um, as well as this, uh, Mr O'Mara and co-defendant Gareth Arnold have uh, been accused of submitting a series of invoices for payments that were false in 2019 and 
Mr. Amaro is, is said to have submitted a false contract of employment for his friend, John Woodliffe, whom he claimed worked for him as a constituency support officer. Uh, both Mr. Arnold and Mr. Woodliffe deny their respective charges of fraud. Um, Mr. O'Mara, one of the, the more colourful allegations is that the, the former Member of Parliament tried to submit fake invoices for nearly £30,000 in a bid to fund his extensive cocaine habit. Uh, now, of course, Mr. O'Mara does deny all of, of these these allegations, those eight counts of fraud. Um, but there are some, quite frankly, ludicrous uh, sort of comments here. Um, something totaling, sort of submitting claims for £19,400 relating to a fictitious organisation. Uh, he, he also claimed he submitted two invoices totaling uh, just under £5,000 from his chief of staff for both media and PR work that, according to prosecutors, was never carried out. Uh, The co-defendants are accused of deliberately making dishonest claims for work that hadn't been done in order to receive money for themselves. Now, you might ask, oh, who cares? What's the point? It's his own money. No, it's not. Uh, This is to run parliamentary offices. This is to run parliamentary activities. It's our money. So, uh, Jared Amar, I I don't think he's in any danger of of being re-elected as the Member of Parliament for Sheffield Hallam. And indeed, he lost that seat in 2019. He he fought it as an an independent after leaving the Labour Party in, in 2018. Um, but this is this is quite a mess, and at the, at a time where trust in elected public officials is low, I I don't know how much lower the bar can go uh, than defrauding both your electorate, your 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 paymasters, and the people whom you are there to serve, uh, defrauding them not just of of what is potentially here, £30,000, but of an actual member of Parliament. Shame on you, Mr O'Mara. Even if uh, these expenses claims are are unsubstantiated, uh, the parliamentary record shows that Mr O'Mara was essentially uh, persona non grata in the House of Commons throughout his two years where he should have been attending parliamentary activities. Let's talk about one more member of Parliament, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who will be on the airwaves in uh, in not too long because he's going to get his own show um, on, you guessed it, GB News. Uh, the former business secretary, uh, Minister of State for Brexit Opportunities and Government Efficiency amongst other fun titles described GB News as uh, a bastion of free speech. Um, now, uh, this this new show uh, apparently will see him debate the hot topics of the day and interview guests from across the political spectrum. Which uh, I don't know, given that his his nickname was the Honourable Member for the 18th Century, I can only assume means how many horses does one expect to own. Uh, 
uh, and and how many children is too many to die in workhouse accidents over the course of a week. I jest, of course. Um, Mr. Rhys Mogg is certainly someone who who brings in uh, an audience, and and GB News will probably uh, be 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 glad of the audience that, that it brings in. Uh, Mick Booker, the director, uh, the editorial director rather of GB News, has described. Mr. Rhys Mogg as, and I quote, an authentic and authoritative, authoritative, if I put my teeth in today, an authentic and authoritative voice of the Tory backbenches with trademark common sense, refreshing directness, and an impish sense of fun. You see, and it's with that same impish sense of fun that I, I mock and, and, and poke jest at the member for North East Somerset. Um, this new programme... Uh, as well as embracing a range of guests and viewpoints from all sides of politics. I'll expect the invite soon, Jacob. Uh, It will also explore uh, some of Jacob's other wide-ranging interests. Um, I don't really know what they are. I I must admit, I I would be quite intrigued to know what Jacob Rees-Mogg does for fun. Um, But I am slightly perturbed to, to have to watch GB News to find out. Right, um, you know how I said some of my songs had like themes behind them, and I, I would put uh, these these links in just just to to make a segue from one thing to another. Um, no, if you thought that was going to last the entirety of the show, then I think uh, you're going to have to admit you were dreaming. And to that I say, dream on. Oh, that was good. Come on, you know it was good. Enjoy this uh, from Aerosmith. See you after. I'll speak to you anyway. Sing for the moment, Eminem. And of course, those perceptive ones amongst you will have noticed that um, similar similar sounding songs there. Of course, Sing for the moment, very much sampling Dream On with Aerosmith. But I like the song so much that we just had to play back-to-back versions thereof. Um let's let's move along now um and we're gonna move along to a a very different topic than what we've been talking about before we've been talking about uk politics all the way through we're going to shift our focus to ukraine uh because volodymyr Zelensky has been urging western leaders to expedite the delivery of their tanks that have now been promised for the the fight against Russia and has also urged Western leaders to send long-range missiles and fighter jets. Now, both the US and Germany have now announced they would be sending uh, both their Abrams and Leopard tanks, respectively, to Ukraine. (laughs) Um, But Russia has just condemned the announcement as a blatant provocation and has said uh, that any supplied tanks would be destroyed. According to Dmitry Peskov, who is Vladimir Putin's spokesperson, Uh, the tanks will burn like all the rest. They are just very expensive. Um, I I must admit, if that was Volodymyr Zelensky saying that about Russian tanks, uh, we'd be applauding him from from the rooftops. Uh, It it does just show how how useful rhetoric is. But uh, it does make a, a more serious point behind this. Uh, Zelensky has told the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg 
that progress must be made in other aspects of our defence cooperation. Ukraine is known to be seeking supplies of long-range missiles and artillery and has been pushing for uh, massive resupply of of their their stockpiles uh, and has called for uh, Ukraine and uh, Western tanks to form such a tank force, such a freedom force, that after it strikes, tyranny will never again rise up. I do hate to break it to Mr. Zelensky, but we said never again after World War One, and there was a sequel to that conflict. Um, so I, I don't know whether it's it's a tank force or a freedom force that will be able to ensure tyranny will never rise up again. Um, here, here's the, the real crux of, of, of what could be a, a real sticking point between the West and Ukraine, though, because now these these tank supplies and um, and some short range missile stocks have been sent to Ukrainian combatants. Mr. Zelensky is looking like he's going to pivot his attention to long range missiles and fighter jets, especially more technologically advanced fighter jets. And Western governments remain opposed to this move because whilst a, a defensive war is um, sort of the, the, the most secure and concrete casus belli uh, that you can have, um, if advanced fighter jets could be used to strike territory and targets inside Russia, then that could be seen as an unnecessary escalation. Now, I'm sure that that Ukraine would say, well, hang on a minute. Um, It's all very well condemning Russia for attacking targets inside Ukraine. Um, Why why under the the rules of of this war is Ukraine suddenly having to be the the moral arbiters and and being told, no, you can't strike targets inside Russia? Um, It's it's PR, it's it's spin, but it also... It's the the narrative of, of this war has very much been that it is Vladimir Putin's war. It is not the Russian people's war. Um, and therefore, it, it makes sense for the European and Western nations to form a red line uh, and say, no, hang on, Let, we'll help you defend your land, we'll help you restore your land borders. But if we think that by supplying you with, with these types of, of weapons, so for example, these advanced fighter jets and, and heavy long-range missilery, uh, that you would use this to strike back in, in retaliatory actions... Uh, against sort of targets within mainland Russia, uh, that could be seen as an escalation, uh, and that could either bring uh, more Russian people on board with Vladimir Putin's idea that uh, Ukraine is is this sort of tearaway state that requires denazification. I still can't quite wrap my head around how um, Vladimir Putin called that his his casus belli for for, for war back. What was it? Um, 29 days short of a year ago, I believe. Uh, but but as it is, I think that the Western nations drawing this red line on, on tanks is is somewhat, somewhat sensible. Um, Olaf Scholz, German Chancellor, has insisted there will be no fighter jet deliveries to Ukraine. But remember, um, Germany was adamant it wouldn't send any of its Leopard 2 tanks. And they've just sent 14 um, U.S. President Joe Biden announced on Wednesday that the U.S. would be sending 31 M1 Abrams battle tanks into Ukraine. And uh, Berlin has also 
cleared the way for other European countries to donate German-made tanks from their own stocks. So Poland, uh, for example, they had said that they wouldn't even wait for for Germany to say, yes, you can send our our tanks or our German-made tanks into Ukraine under your your orders. But uh, now they do have the go-ahead. It is notable, however, that, that, that these tanks could potentially help deter what is being thought of as uh, as a real threat, a potential Russian uh, renewed offensive in the spring. Um, Vladimir Putin is... Well, I, I don't want to say he's becoming increasingly erratic because that implies that he had sense when he started this war and it wasn't a uh, an erratic act that, that was only ever going to harm him and the people around him and the people caught up in this horrible war. Uh, but it does seem to be that um, this this is getting much more erratic from Vladimir Putin. Um, to to look at what's been said on, on the Sky News pages, um, Vladimir Putin has, in, in very weird, um, very weird scenes, been apparently pictured wearing high-heeled shoes so that he can stand at a tall enough stature amongst those around him. Uh, I've seen them. They're not quite the stilettos you're thinking of, but um, they are some quite chunky heels. Um, But Vladimir Putin, a man obsessed and concerned with image, um, it is likely that a, a man such as he would potentially become reckless and emotional. Think of this as, um, if you know your British political history, Anthony Eden's obsession with uh, Colonel Nasser of Egypt, seeing things that weren't there, getting overly emotionally tied, forming a vendetta against an individual. Uh, Putin was talking earlier today about Ukrainian nationalists shooting Ukrainian soldiers in the back to prevent them from uh, defecting. Um I mean, it's unsubstantiated to the extreme. Um, Putin essentially saying that Kiev has has created these uh, detachments that that are there to just stop people retreating. Um, I wouldn't put it past Vladimir Putin to do that, but at the moment, I quite honestly, I don't see the the, the need uh, far from the anything. Uh, that would point me towards the fact that this is taking place. But there is no need for Ukrainian soldiers to be forced into uh, staying with their troops because they are they are fighting for the safety and security and protection of their homeland. It's it's not hard to motivate your, yourself when you see your neighbours, your friends, your town, your house, your children under threat. And, and not just... Uh, in danger under an existential threat from a potentially deeply aggressive and hostile neighbour as Vladimir Putin's Russia has turned out to be. Some would say uh, it was never pretending to be anything else under the leadership of the former KGB and FSB man. Um, Mr... Alexander Gabuev, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment, uh, Endowment for International Peace, has been uh, on Twitter outlining these potentially worrying signs of Vladimir Putin's current state of mind. Um, he, he detailed a, a series of instances in which Vladimir Putin's statements in recent times demonstrate a tenuous grasp of reality. Uh, and in a tweet, he went on to say, 
Why is this important? Because some crucial decisions the Kremlin makes about the war may be based on some quality information, in inverted commas, like Putin has shared today. The fact that there is no dispassionate interagency process in Russia, but an emotional and misinformed leader is chilling. This reality must feature prominently in quiet discussions that Western supporters of Ukraine have with leaders in Kiev. There is a risk of overestimating Putin's rationality and neglecting his growing detachment from reality when trying to redraw Moscow's red lines. So far, the West managed to do it in a firm but careful manner, avoiding doomsday scenarios. Um, in, in more sort of up-to-date news, um, specifically regarding Vladimir Putin, there are reports that uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the founder of the Wagner Group, uh, which is a, essentially a group of mercenaries, um, is potentially lining up a coup, or at least a power challenge against the long-standing Russian president. Now, in years gone by, this would have been seen as the height of folly to try and challenge Vladimir Putin in Vladimir Putin's Russia. I mean, there are there are books written about uh, all the Kremlin's men inside the court of Vladimir Putin. That's Mikhail Zhiga, a Russian journalist and author who wrote that. Um, but Vladimir Putin is, is confident he can weaken this oligarch, Yevgeny Prigozhin, um, who has been critical. But it does seem that this is having the opposite effect. Mr. Prigozhin is now the probable favourite to succeed Vladimir Putin amongst certain circles. Now, we know that um, often people from outside of Vladimir Putin's tent who try and disrupt by getting in don't have the best of luck. Uh, I refer, of course, to the litany of opposition leaders who have mysteriously fallen victim to natural disasters. Um, or sometimes to bullets, which are less than natural disasters. And at the moment, it, it's clear that there is some uh, present danger surrounding the future of Alexei Navalny, who, from whom we haven't heard in quite a while. But Mr. Prigozhin is a new type of threat for Vladimir Putin, a man so close to him, sort of his his former chief, really, this group of mercenaries that was doing Vladimir Putin's bidding. In, d in years gone by, Putin might have tried to shuffle him out bureaucratically. He has been trying to do that. He's promoted some of Mr. Prigozhin's key enemies. But some Russians who might normally be supportive of Putin's regime um, are, are frustrated that despite the propaganda, the army is not winning. Kiev did not fall in in a few days as was promised. General Gerasimov is now the supreme commander of uh, Russian forces in Ukraine, and he is a key ally, a very close ally of Vladimir Putin. He's not an ally of Yevgeny Prigozhin. It doesn't weaken Mr. Prigozhin to have Gerasimov, but it does tie by sort of micro actions Vladimir Putin 
to the exact prosecution of this war. It is in equal parts interesting and terrifying to think about regime change in Russia. Um, we, we've, we've seen this before in countries where we think surely there can be nothing worse than this totalitarian or at the very least authoritarian leader. Um, we saw it in Iraq with the warmonger Saddam Hussein. And yet after he fell, the power vacuum was arguably deadlier. Now, I'm not suggesting that actions against Saddam Hussein were necessarily wrong. I'm suggesting that it requires careful planning and consideration, especially if the international community is to be involved before any value judgments are, are made on, um, on whether or not Vladimir Putin staying in office or being deposed in what could end up being either a bloodless or incredibly bloody Kremlin coup uh, would have, especially in the effect on this war. Uh, one effect today, though, however, uh, we've seen uh, the first widespread barrage of, of Russian firepower into Ukraine since the 14th of January. So for about 12 days, Russia fired 55 rockets, uh, of which 47 were intercepted, according to Valery Zui. I've missed that name. Uh, Zaluzhiny, who is the commander of Ukraine's armed forces. Uh, missile and drone attacks have claimed the lives of 11 people in Ukraine today, according to the country's emergency services. Uh, the mayor of Kiev, Vitaly Klitschko, said that a strike killed the first person in Kiev since New Year's Eve, but defense systems in the area were successful in engaging 15 missile targets, which were shot down. Kherson was also one of the targets where shelling has reported to have killed two people and injured five more. So it just goes to show that whilst we wax sort of polemical and philosophical about the various uh, political posturings, uh, as Moscow accuses the West of direct involvement in the war, as the West accuses uh, Moscow of, of war crimes, or rather Ukraine uh, accuses uh, Moscow of uh, violating the laws and customs of war, uh, there are still, no matter how infrequently it might pop up on your timeline, uh, there are still deaths, there are still attacks, and this is not going away any time soon, unfortunately. To stay on sort of equally harrowing topics. Uh, nine Palestinians have been killed during an Israeli military raid in the occupied West Bank, according to the Palestinian health officials, uh, which makes this one of the, the deadliest raids in years. Um, the Israeli military is uh, reported to have sent its troops in to arrest Islamic Jihad militants who were quoted to have reported, uh, sorry, who are reported by the Israeli forces to be planning major attacks. Now, the Palestinian presidency has accused Israel of a massacre in the northern town, which has been the center of repeated raids across recent months. 
the Israeli military are describing these actions as an anti-terrorism offensive, which began last April. That's not how the Palestinians see it. Uh, the pictures are harrowing. It is like a war zone in Jenin. An elderly woman is reported amongst the dead in the Flashpoint town on the West Bank. The Israeli Defense Forces, whom I shall refer to as IDF for uh, the remainder of this particular topic, entered Jenin, according to their spokespersons, to arrest a terror squad planning Islamic Jihad, whom the IDF accused of being heavily involved in planning and executing multiple major terrorist attacks on Israeli civilians and soldiers. According to the IDF, forces surrounded the building and three armed suspects were neutralized whilst the fourth surrendered. Troops were then shot at by another Palestinian gunman and returned fire, hitting targets. It added it was looking into, quote, claims regarding other casualties. That is uh, the, the IDF line. Islamic Jihad and Hamas have said their militants targeted the IDF troops with gunfire and IEDs or improvised explosive devices. But the official Palestinian news agency Wafa reported seven youths were shot and wounded whilst attempting to prevent Israeli forces from entering Jenin and that the troops completely destroyed the Jenin camp club. Now there are pictures of, of destruction and uh, levels of, of sort of, uh, well, destruction, I'm not going to call it devastation. Um, it, it's not quite on, on parallel with that uh, now, but th this is yet another um, harrowing story from an area that does not seem to get any respite. According to the Palestinian Health Minister May al Kalea and the Palestinian uh, Red Crescent, it's said that the Red Crescent ambulances were initially unable to reach wounded at the scene because Israeli troops formed a cordon. The children's ward of a local hospital was also hit by Israeli tear gas, according to May Al-Kaila. But the IDF has not commented on this accusation. Mahmoud Abbas, the president of Palestine, has declared three days of national mourning in response to what has been labelled a massacre amidst international silence by his spokesman. Nabil Abu Rudaine said that this is what encourages the occupation government to commit massacres against our people in full view of the world, with Janine Deputy Governor Kamal Abu al-Rub telling the AFP news agency Israeli troops are destroying everything and shooting at everything that moved. Tor Venishlan, the UN Middle East envoy, has said, I'm deeply alarmed and saddened by the continuing cycle of violence in the occupied West Bank. Since the beginning of this year, we are continuing to witness high levels of violence and other negative trends that characterise 2022. It is crucial to reduce tensions immediately and prevent more loss of life. So far this year, at least 29 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces in the West Bank, which includes militants and civilians. And last year, more than 150 Palestinians were killed in the West Bank, nearly all by Israeli forces, with the dead including unarmed civilians, but as well militant gunmen and armed attackers. The cycle of violence is seemingly never-ending, with reprisals and, and counter-reprisals. And nobody has an answer. 
because nobody has ever had an answer to this ever since we created the questions for it. And I really want to be sort of the person who can give you some hope to to lift everybody up out of a, a great big national slump. But I can't, because that would be lying to you, and I don't want to do that. I respect your intelligence far too much as an audience. Um, it would be wonderful if uh, a great sort of golden bullet solution could be found, but we're not going to find that in our current places of searching. I can't work out whether I want to play a song or whether I want to go on to another story. You know what, I, I think uh, I am going to play another song, uh, but I can't work out which one I want to play. Um, so I'm going to sort of scroll down this list of ones I've got planned, and I've found, you know what, this one might, uh, this one might raise the mood. This is Wild Cherry, and play that funky music. Be back after this. I've got a deal for you. What we'll do is we will do five more minutes of bad news, and then... I've got a good news story for you. I've been searching during the break about a really fun little news story. And yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll do five minutes. Five minutes of the uh, the, the horrible, the not fun, the, the stuff that quite frankly you hear quite a lot of here on Politics Unboxed. Um, because unfortunately that is the way the world is. But then we'll get on to some, un- some more uplifting stories. Right. Um, but before we get on to those uplifting stories, uh, let's start with the National Health Service. Uh, proposals to make some patients pay for care are sparking backlash with NHS consultants quoted as saying, over my dead body. Uh, the NHS winter crisis happens every winter. A lot. It It, it is really increasing in severity and depth and the the level of crisis. Um, It has prompted a long overdue and necessary debate, though, about sustainability and future within the National Health Service. Now, former Health Secretary Sajid Javid thinks the way forward for the free cradle-to-grave service is to start charging the patients who can afford it. Wes Streeting says, over my dead body. Um, the NHS was created as a free-for-all service and former Labour Prime Minister Gordon Brown has warned that asking some to pay for their services creates a two-tier system that will fail the most vulnerable. However, saying no isn't going to help anything if there isn't a counter-proposal. And all sides do agree at least that the National Health Service is in desperate need of reform and cannot be allowed to endure this endless cycle of crisis to crisis hopping. We know that coronavirus has left a long shadow over the National Health Service. We know that we're still learning about the impacts of coronavirus on our bodies. And we know that the workforce issue is critical. There are currently over 165,000 vacancies in the NHS, and that's before you take into account ambulance workers, nurses and hospital staff, all of whom are striking for better pay and working conditions. 
They're burnt out, they're demoralised, and they feel undervalued. And yet Steve Barkley has outlined five priorities in the short term for the NHS, and they are employing more staff for NHS 111 and 999 services, focusing on urgent and emergency care, tackling delays in discharge from hospitals, improving access to primary care, and investing in technology. Not a mention there, really, of the wider workforce crisis. Um, Wes Streeting, the Shadow House Secretary, has said the NHS is in an existential crisis and pledged that the Labour Party would train more staff and use the private sector to bring down waiting lists and introduce fair pay and conditions for workers. But he's been under fire as well. The opposition's proposals for general practitioner reform outline, uh, essentially, that the Labour government would tear up the contract with GPs and could make family doctors salaried NHS employees. Um, Now, Sajid Javid's proposals would see patients charged £20 for GP appointments and £66 for emergency visits without a referral. In an emergency, who has time to get a referral? I don't know if Sajid Javid knows what he's on about. Uh, I quite like a little bit of what he's on. Um... £20 fees for GP appointments, that's even more than what Rishi Sunak had to balk from during the original leadership election of 2022 when he was talking about £10 fees. Um, and I, I think we, ha- we had that argument then about GP fees. Should there be any? And the answer was resoundingly no. Um, but this doesn't really solve any of the problems. We are just bouncing from pillar to post and finding out that all of them are covered in excrement and are going to sink the NHS in one way or another. This pushes us even closer to root and branch reform of the National Health Service, but some would say that root and branch reform of the National Health Service in the hands of the Conservative Party uh, doesn't mean root and branch reform, it means uh, root and branch disassembly. And that's what the Labour Party would say. However, uh, the Conservative Party themselves would, would probably say that they are the only party that can be trusted to fiscally responsibly uh, keep the NHS together and therefore reform is, is required. I think you can probably look at both those arguments uh, and, and you could tell the various political spokespeople where they can shove them. Um, how unprofessional of me. But I think this is just symptomatic of the general frustration that we have at the moment as a country with political spokespersons um, who talk and talk and talk and pose for photo ops and then do what exactly? Don't adjust your sets. There was nothing after that sentence. Anyway... What's coming up after this sentence? Because we've hit our five minutes and as promised, here comes some good news. And we're going to the Netherlands. Well, not not all of us, but metaphorically, transport yourselves in your minds to the Netherlands, where there is a lo-fi pollution solution, which has proven surprisingly effective. And it's now set to be rolled out elsewhere in Europe. Now, this is thanks to a Dutch startup led by Sailors and Surfers, which has found a way of stopping rubbish in its tracks. It stops plastic pollution 
before it reaches the sea. It's called the Great Bubble Barrier, and it deploys a perforated tube on riverbeds to create a curtain of bubbles which nudges waste up towards the bank for collection. And I mean, you might think, well, come on, surely someone's thought of that and done it before. Well, this has been really effective, so maybe they haven't. Um, It can sort of find plastic particles as small as a millimetre in diameter, and it's intercepting, according to studies, as much as 86% of flotsam in inland waters before it reaches the sea, meaning it has a much greater chance of being collected and disposed of properly, rather than, oh, I don't know, joining the other 8 million tonnes of plastic that ends up in our oceans every year, of which 60-80% to originates in rivers. Now, this Great Bubble Barrier was thought up by some very clever Dutch people in 2019, and they came up with a design that sort of catches plastic over a river's full width and depth, and then uses these bubbles to uh, divert these bits of plastic into a catchment system that is then designed to collect and compress the waste. Now, last summer, the first bubble barrier was installed at the Uderrhein, or Old Rhine, river mouth in Katjvik in the Midwest Netherlands, because there was a local uproar at how much plastic pollution there was on the town's beach. Uh, And, as I say, this bubble curtain gets created by an air compressor. It runs on renewable electricity, pumps air down to a riverbed tube laid diagonally across the waterway, which then, as it bubbles up, it lifts plastic to the surface, where the, the prevailing flow of the river channels waste sideways into their catchment system. Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on. Does it work all the way through the day? Yes, it does. Does it work whether it's high tide, low tide, no tide? Absolutely it does. It works regardless of water levels. And the best thing about it, it's not a net. There's nothing sort of solid for a boat or fish or any aquatic life or river traffic at all to get caught in. Um, After that catchphic experiment, another bubble barrier has been deployed in Amsterdam. Uh, And according to the uh, Great Bubble Barrier uh, Company, the Amsterdam barrier prevents around 8,000 pieces of plastic from reaching the sea each month. Two more are planned, one in Portugal and one in Germany in the not-too-distant future. Um, According to Francis Zoet, co-founder of the startup, rivers are the highways to our oceans, transporting pollution all the way there. Uh, Our Amsterdam system is preventing 8,000 pieces of plastic from reaching the North Sea each month, but we don't plan to stop there. The first international systems are on the agenda, and we can't wait to tackle pollution across our borders. What about that for a positive news story, eh? Let's have another one as well, because uh, a young boy, age four, from Monmouthshire, Grayson Taylor, has been hailed as a hero after he saved his family from what could have ended up as carbon monoxide poisoning. He awoke at about one in the morning and went up to his parents' room at quarter past one to alert them to a beeping noise that was coming from downstairs in their home in Monmouthshire. Now, he was apparently very insistent that they get out of bed, and when they did, they went downstairs and found that it was their carbon monoxide alarm going off next to their wood burner. 
According to his mother, Hannah, without Grayson's quick thinking, the situation could have ended differently because all four people in the house, Grayson, uh, Hannah, her husband, and their seven-month-old other child, their daughter, Dottie, were all at home and asleep. Now, he didn't do this in a rush, as you might expect children to do. He woke everybody up very calmly. He said, there's an alarm going off downstairs. We need to get up. And it was the carbon monoxide alarm. But it's not a very loud alarm, according to Hannah. Uh, Hannah also added that Grayson often asks his parents to lift him up so that he can check the fire alarms in his home in Port Stewart, Monmouthshire. He sounds like a very inquisitive little child. I think he's going to have a long and happy career ahead of him. Uh, Hannah rang the non-emergency fire service who visited the home uh, to carry out checks and said that the carbon monoxide is thought to have come from an open fire in the living area. Grayson has subsequently been praised for his actions at his school with a Queen Elizabeth II Bravery Award. There we go. Grayson saves his family's life and a Dutch startup saves the planet. You can't ask for much better news than that. Right, we are at the end of our time for today's show because I want to play a nice song to to end with. Um, but thank you very much for listening. It's always a pleasure to be talking to you for these two hours every Thursday now from two till four. Remember, it was Wednesday last term. It's Thursday this term. Thursdays two till four. I hope very much to have you back amongst my listeners next week or if you're listening to this on the Politics Unbox podcast. Thank you very much for downloading and I hope that you will click on to the next available episode or if there isn't one, just whack the subscribe button. Uh, if you're listening to this live and you're wondering, there's a podcast, what? Yes, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for the Politics Unboxed podcast. Uh, go to www.politicsunboxedpodcast.wordpress.com for all of our information and articles as well when they get posted. You can follow us on Instagram at politics.unboxed, at politicsu, that's the letter U on Twitter, and search for Politics Unboxed on Facebook. If you want, you can also drop us an email, politics.unboxed at Outlook dot com all that is left for me to say though is thank you very much for tuning in to today's episode of the politics unboxed show here on expression fm i will be back next week um you've got a, a couple of hours of expertly curated automation from our music team but then at six it's the music show where a very special theme it's home and away picking artists from right where the panellists live and from about as far away as they can think. So I'm going to try and think up a nice New Zealand band so that I can surprise the music team. I hope to stick around to listen to everything else we've got to show for you on Expression FM. But once again, thank you very much for tuning in. My name's been Reese Wallace and this has been the Politics Unboxed Show on Expression FM. I very much hope to have you back again next week. Bye-bye.